Hello, my name is Rachel King and I'm the Programme Director of Word Christchurch. I'm pleased to introduce this Word Christchurch 2018 festival podcast, Manly As, proudly presented by All Right. With the recent explosion of feminism, the Me Too movement and the emergence of the terms toxic masculinity and mansplaining, it's easy to see that being a man in 2018 is not as simple as it once was. Can we all benefit from men taking on so-called feminine traits, or should we just let boys be boys? Jared Gilbert speaks to three writers, Dominic Coey, Omar Musa and Chris Teese, about depictions of masculinity in their work, growing up male, and what it means to be manly as. Um, well, thank you um, very much for coming uh, today for the session with our authors. Before I introduce them, I'd just like to thank um, the All Right campaign, who I think some of their folk might be here, but they're doing some terrific work in this area, so thank you very much. Um, and also the associate sponsor, um, Auckland University Press, which is a absolutely terrific place, just so happen to be my publishers. <laughs> um, they've got very good taste. Now, um, I'll introduce our authors briefly, and then we'll get into it. I, the, the intent from me, um, which for those of you who know me is a bit is not typical, is I don't want to say too much today, actually. Um, the intent is just to start a conversation um, with our three authors, and the, least I, the less I say, the, the absolute better. We will certainly have time for questions, um, that's opposed to statements, at the end, um, and I hopefully um, plenty of time for that as well. Um, so it was, it's with great pleasure I introduce um, Dominic Hoy. Dominic um, made his bones as a musician under the name Tourette's, Blending rap with spoken word poetry, he's published two books of poetry and his debut novel is called Iceland. Um, in the middle, Omar Musa. Omar is a poet, author and rapper from New South Wales. Uh, he was named one of Sydney Morning Herald's Young Novelists of the Year in 2015 and he recently added to his impressive list of books and albums a play called Since Ali Died. And next to me is Chris Teese. Uh, Chris is a poet from Lower Hutt whose most recent book of poetry is titled He's So Man uh, Mask. He's been called the best dressed poet in contemporary New Zealand letters. <laughs> so, I guess I've got, a I've, I've got a number of questions here. I hope we don't um, use them all, actually, and that this does become an organic sort of a, a, a conversation. But I just want to start broadly, and I'll just open it up to whoever, whoever speaks first. Um, what is masculinity in 2018? What is contemporary masculinity, and is it a problem? Um, I think it's always been a problem, and I think it's probably the same thing that's always been, in my opinion, is just like a sort of performance that's forced on to people, to men. Um, and I guess now, thanks to the internet and lots of activism, it's sort of starting to fall apart, which I think is super positive, you know, overall. Is, is there a such thing as a positive man's man these days? I don't think there ever was, was there? I'm not sure. It all depends on how you kind of define it, isn't it? Like, I, I don't think there really is. Like, just that phrase in itself sort of, uh, you know, hints at an aggressive, belligerent type of uh, manhood where a man gets a get-out-of-jail-free card for whatever horrible actions he wants to enact on the world and the people around him. Uh, just by, you know, people saying, oh, boys would be boys, oh, he's just a man's man, you know. Uh, it's sort of you know, hints at a, a type of masculinity, the way it's always been, where you don't talk about your feelings and uh, you, don't, you don't express yourself, you express yourself mainly through physicality and, um, and violence oftentimes, whether that be um, 
you know, well, I guess it sometimes could be colloquial violence, but also economic violence um, in, in the workplace with, with the gender gap that kind of gets reinforced again and again. And, and then also, of course, through physical violence, you know. Um, so I'm pretty, yeah, I'd be pretty wary of someone who was called a man's man. I think also we, like, had this concept of the problematic fave. You know, people have these men that they want to admire and they're fans of, but they know that they've said or done things that throw them in a whole other light, and yet, how do we separate that from the person? Well, that's, that's a great, I think that's a brilliant point, actually. Um, and we've got two rappers um, on, on stage today, not often associated with positive masculinity, I would think. How do we, how do we reflect on the likes of MWA, for example, um, in, in, in contemporary thinking? I guess that um, you do have to look through lens, like look at stuff through a lens of class, you know, um, because how, you know, like in a lot of situations that I've personally been in in the past, and um, a lot of the students I work with, I work with marginalised youth that they're in. It's actually dangerous not to play out these roles of masculinity um, for their physical safety and stuff. So um, you do have to look at it like that. But I mean, also that's just incredibly dated. Do you know what I mean? But I think... But can we still, but can we still appreciate that art form? And, and can, Or do we have to write it off and say, well, hang on a second. I mean, I still call it like, fuck the no police, good. but, like, um... <laughs> I don't know, yeah. I mean, we've all got problematic faves. Like, I can't imagine a time where, where you wouldn't, you know, where, where the, the way something is made and, and the, the music is so forceful and potent, but some of the messaging is not really, uh, you know, aligned with your woke ideology or whatever. Um, you know, it, it's a hard one, and I agree that it, it's, it's complicated because something like gangster rap, you know, it comes from the, the Reagan era, Reaganomics, and kind of uh, gen two generations affected by crack and, and men being locked up and dis disenfranchised men um, and people not necessarily growing up with, with um, female role models and stuff like that because of incarceration. And, and you know, um, and so that's not to excuse like violent misogyny in the lyrics uh, against women, but it, it sort of, it, does, it doesn't come from nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, um, and so I don't give it a pass. Like it becomes more and more difficult for me to listen to that stuff as I get older, mm. but the music's so fucking dope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's hard. It was funny, I did this course in the States with one of the early hip hop scholars, um, Trisha Rose, who's now I think at NYU, but um, she called it the, uh, the manipulation of the funk. You know, where, <laughs> where you know the, that was some term she coined. Where you could, if you made the music funky, then like you could say whatever the hell you wanted over the top of it. And you know, like if you see Snoop, like um, what was that Snoop song where it's like, it ain't no fun if the homies can't get none. You see like women singing along to that song. It's like well, it was you know like with reckless joy and abandon, like, and it's like so misogynistic. But, yeah. Well, a lot of that, but I mean, it is interesting, isn't it? Because we, we're, we've all got a few years under the clock. I think, Chris, you'd be the youngest. You mid-30s? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, so, 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 but, but, so, so, well, well, I think that's the youngest. I think that's, I think the youngest of us. But, 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 yeah. but, but, but a lot of that music was made by young men. We're pr fairly privileged that, I guess, that we're in a position that we can reflect on this. When, you, when you're a bit younger, you are stuck more, stuck in certain roles. Is that right? <coughs> I was drawn to that music because it was so hyper-masculine. That's the crazy thing. And now it's something that's come to define my life and my art and the way I see the world. And unpackaging that can be a, a really uncomfortable and uneasy thing. Um, because, you know, I think I was always into poetry, 
but then maybe in my early teens, you know, I'll just be honest with you guys, I probably, it was seen as something that was like effeminate and kind of mm -hmm. like the dudes that did it were like most likely gay or something and being a young dude growing up in small town Australia, you know, using homophobic language all the time, sexist language, I was like, no, nah, well, I like poetry, but I want it to be manly, like manly I want it to be poetry. masculine. <laughs> no, well, like, uh, well, no, I didn't necessarily, I don't know if that was like a thought that I articulated or as some subconscious thing, but when I saw young men um, doing doing this, yeah, what was poetry, rapid fire, political, personal poetry in a very hyper-masculine way, I was drawn to it. And now I'm sort of, you know, coming to unpackage a lot of that. Yeah, yeah I've been thinking a lot about this performance thing, especially when you're young, because I'm, uh, I've written an essay for one of tomorrow's events uh, for the soundtrack session. And for me, it's thinking about the music that I listen to um, as a teenager and how I kept certain artists that I loved sort of at the back of the CD stacks. Um, and, you know, I, I was very vocal about loving, you know, serious music like Tori Amos and PJ Harvey and Björk. And it's like, people could see that I was gay for a mile off just by <laughs> <laughs> listening to their music. They didn't need to know that I loved Madonna and Kylie and, you know, the first Aqua album is a stone-cold classic. You've drawn out your sexuality there and you write... Yep. Um, uh, how some boys are for girls and the rest fall into beds with each other. Is there such a thing as a gay masculinity? And if there, I mean, this, I don't, this may well be, I, I don't, I'm not, I, when I wrote that question actually, I wasn't sure whether it was the smartest question I've ever come up with in my life, or it was the most stupid thing I've said, so I'll, I'll let people judge that, um, don't be too harsh. But is there a gay masculinity? If there is, is it instructive? Can it teach us anything? So I guess that's what I, I feel like I bring to this panel is um, that in, in my book I have written about how uh, masculinity is perceived within the gay community and what's held up as, um, I guess, the gold standard in terms of masculinity for gay men. And it's super buff, tanned white men. Um, and for a skinny Asian guy like myself, you can often feel inferior. Um, and there's also a bit of, I guess, fetishization about it as well, that um, as a young gay Asian man that, you know, I'll fall at the feet of any older white man that sort of clicks his fingers. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's quite strange being pulled in those different directions in terms of, you know, what is masculinity in the general sense and what people expect of you in society, and then this sort of all right, I'm grappling with my sexuality, but I also feel like I'm not enough for these other men. And there was something on Twitter um, earlier this week, and it was someone screenshotted a list um, or an article that someone had put together, and it was like the 15 gay men that you'll never see on the cover of a gay magazine. And it talked about how, you know, there's that stereotype of the, the, the buff white uh, man. And they had these 15 photos of the men you would never see. And yet they were a little hairier, a little chubbier, but they were still all white. And you just think, okay, when do we get to break through? And, mm. and, and you know, someone joked like, 15 gay men you'll never see in a list of 15 gay men you'll never see on a cover of a magazine. <laughs> and it's like, it's just this sort of constant circle that you can't fight. Yeah, yeah. race definitely comes into well, it. Well, that's what's gonna sure. Yeah, well, I was growing up because I'm, I'm Asian Australian, but I'm also Muslim Australian and so like, uh, you know, traditionally Asian men were, were desexualized or sort of, see, yeah, seen as, uh, you know, almost like 
asexual in Australian culture. Um, but then, like, there was a certain point where Muslim men, especially Lebanese men, uh, in, in Western Sydney were seen as, as violently aggressive when it came to sex and kind of like, you know, there was all these scandals about like, uh, well, you'd see it in the news all the time, these young Lebanese men are rapists and blah, blah, and that became a stereotype. So I sort of had this weird, like, there was this weird tension where I felt like trapped in the middle because it was like, I didn't look particularly Asian, even though I identify as, as Asian. So it was kind of between being asexual or violently sexual. Like, what's the, <laughs> well, you know, what's the sort of... Sort of choice there, and there's like a really confusing way to to try and figure out how to define myself as a man because I would never be white, you know. I'd never be the idealised um, dude on Bondi Beach, surfer guy with a six pack or whatever, you know. Um, and so, yeah, you sort of try and figure out your own way, but there's not exactly like 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 now when I go to high schools and they're talking to kids about masculinity and feminism and everything, it's just like I feel like I didn't have any any of that, and talking mm -hmm. to my Parents didn't seem to <laughs> didn't seem to help all that much either. You know? Well, we're talking about you're, you're talking about who you are, the, the sexuality or your eth ethnicity. One thing that um, is, is very personal to you, Dominic, has become part of you. I, I guess, for want of a better term, is that you have you've got some struggles with a degenerative disease, bone disease, um, and that's making you your movements very difficult, a lot of pain. You're even shrinking. I think I, I heard you say it yeah. at one stage. What does this mean for your masculinity? Because you know, strength is often seen as a very masculine um, a trait, right? And 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 here you're you're losing that to a degree. What does that mean for you? Um, I don't think I ever fitted in to a lot of the masculine stereotypes growing up because I was short and not very good at sports and didn't like fighting. So. Um, <laughs> And so I, 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 I don't know, I just, it was never like I was going to be part of that. So, and, and also my parents were very staunchly feminist and political and stuff, so it was kind of like they were just, even when I was listening to hip hop and I'd rap along with it and they'd be like, why are you saying that for? And I was like, oh, because he said on the thing. He's like, don't you say that shit in our house. And so I guess I was lucky in that way too. Um, but um, I, can, I definitely know other men because I've met a lot of people that have this condition now because I've done a play about it and I talk about it all the time. And I've met other people who, are, you know, um, there's one guy who's a boxer and, it, you know, and I can tell that he hasn't said as much, we can tell that it's really an affront to him because, you know, he's a big guy and violence is, you know, even if it's in, within the confines of a sport, is his life and sort of taking that away from him. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, I definitely heard a lot of people both, from both genders say that it's sort of, um, as it progresses, you know, like it robs you of your sexuality and all that kind of stuff. So I can definitely see how that would be a thing. You know? um, well, you opened up your book um, with a, a narrative from a first-person female perspective. It was a woman, a female character. Or um, how does that make you reflect on masculinity? Um, well, I guess, like I was saying, I just think it's a big performance, so I think once you sort of start to, I'm not saying I've completely rejected it, obviously, because it's impossible in our society, but I've tried a lot to push away from it. Um, and when you write from characters, or um, especially I've noticed when you write scripts, and so, you know, you work with actors and you write like a, um, just say you write like a, a, a real masculine male character, but then the, the actor turns up and they're quite effeminate, and then they become that masculine stereotype, and you can just see how it's just a game, like it's just a, it's not real at all. Um, and it's the same with writing from um, other genders or other sexualities or whatever it is. Um, and I'm not saying I always get it right, but you, you know, like I was talking to um, another writer about that and she was saying, oh, I just swapped the male character for female character. I just swapped the names and no one said anything. No, no one noticed. 
you know, I've done that before as well, so. Was, was, was there any pushback from your idea of women? Or? Just one person, but that, Can that, they suck. So. <laughs> um, they said that I shouldn't write, they said I shouldn't have written the sex scene from the point of view of a woman. Um, but then all these other people, other women were saying they really liked it, and someone turned into a meme and said, oh, I don't know, like, I th you can't. <laughs> You can't worry about that shit, I think. Like, obviously, obviously if like, a whole bunch of people, women came to me and said this is problematic, then I would take it on board. Um, well, cause I kind of like that sorry. back and forth, though. Like, you know, um, sometimes with the readership, with the audience, you can learn something. I mean, you have to sort of steer your own path as well and, and you know, take on criticism when you think that it's valid and then at other times be like, no, you know what, that was bullshit and I think I was going down the right path with that one. But, you know, I've had a lot of really interesting discussions around, about my novel um, that has three, the, the main characters are all men, um, you know, and, and very sort of hyper-masculine. Um, and because I, I wanted to look at that side of Australian culture, that kind of, um, that I would say a lot of that masculinity is founded in a sense of, of powerlessness, but it's sort of enacted in this really violent way. Um, and it's, it's men like the men I grew up with that were uneasy around women and didn't find it easy to talk to women and sort of almost would sometimes see them as a bit of a, like almost alien or an enemy or something like that, you know? And, um, and, but I've had so many interesting discussions about it because I fail the Bechdel test, you know? Like, uh, the, 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 yeah, I've been accused of that because my main character's a misogynist, that I'm therefore a misogynist, or it's promoting that by trying to humanise these characters. Um, and so I sometimes, you know, I've taken some of those things on board and thought, yeah, maybe I could have done a little bit better um, with making more nuanced female characters, but at the same time I wanted to do justice to the reality of that world um, where these men don't, re like they're, they're not woke feminists, they're not going to be talking about these things or necessarily hanging out with these strong female, like, like you know, dudes doing graffiti down the train line, like, they're not going to be, they haven't read the female unit, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have responsibility as an author to temper some of the things you say to ensure that you're not perpetuating these norms? Or can we still have characters that are hyper-masculine, that maybe have negative traits? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the world we live in. Like, I think if you try and temper it too much, you know, you create anodyne fence-sitting art. Um, mm. if, if you're trying to make... Like, I don't think that a, a novel or fiction has to be an argument for some polemic point because life doesn't really work like that and a story doesn't work like that. It has complexity and contradictions, you know. Um, you can have your own beliefs that of course will inform the way you write. Um, but I think if you're trying to, um, you know, knock off these kind of points, um, it sort of stretches the narrative in too many different ways. And, and then it's also, I like it that the judgment goes to the reader ultimately. You know, you present the character how they are and how you imagine them and how they need to be for the story to propel forward. And one per that's what's kind of cool. You lose ownership of it. So one person might say, I, I understand that guy now and he's been humanised for me. Other people might say he's an absolute villain and, you know, he's a misogynist prick or whatever. Um, but I kind of like that. It leaves it sort of open-ended. You don't force the reader's hand mm. into thinking a particular ideology. Yeah, and I think with the male character in my book, because he is, you know hyper-masculine and violent and really problematic, but I guess I just wanted to try and show like how he got to that point and rather than it just being like, yeah, just writing this person off because then, you know, no one can change if you just say, you know, well, fuck them, they're this, yeah. you know, but I've yeah, seen... Yeah, monsters, you hear yeah. that often, and often from like male feminists, you know, who 
like trying to prove how woke they are, and they'll just be like, oh, those type of men, they're, they're just monsters, you know? And I'm like, no, they're not monsters. That's the whole point. They're like, they're brothers and fathers and people that we work with and poets and, you know, like, uh, and so there has to be some value in kind of looking at what motivates them, I think. And, and that I, doesn't excuse them, I don't think, but there's value in it. Um, Chris, you haven't disappointed us with your outfit today. You look, you look, you look <laughs> delightful. I, I really mean that. Dressing to theme. Yeah. Um, you wrote, and he's so mank, another poet's book is launched into the world as being masculine, Coltrane, oil change, accidentally brushing a breast. Mm. This book, Madonna, Selfies, Inability to Grow a Beard. Should I read it? Should I? Please. Okay. So this is the sort of title poem, and it was um, written after I went to someone else's book launch. Um, and yeah, so mask. Another poet's book is launched into the world as being masculine, Coltrane, oil change, accidentally brushing a breast. This book, Madonna, selfies, inability to grow a beard. I launched myself into dating apps as a type, geek, guy next door, jock. <laughs> Types seen unseen. A brief history of the Asian male as an object of sexual desire, white bread in a multi-grain world, a mask-for-mask -mask ball in a china shop, closeted daddies and officers ready to see their 1.30pm fuckboys, a silver lining for every dead faggot, dabble agents in gay bar restrooms, men who Frankenstein their own white saviour. I have a type, but I am not that type. So when my eye is caught, I know I'm looking for edges on a white wall, like placing my optimism into the path of oncoming traffic. And still I wish, and still I play, handicapped for not being born with a full set of the desired teeth. But I am very many, and I have a thirst for multiplication. In many ways, you've done it there, actually, um, and, and you, you talk to these issues very specifically, and, and also in the way you dress, and that's where we came to this, um, you're so clearly bucking that concept of masculinity. How difficult has that been to do, cause to, to confront it so personally and so head-on? And have you got personal stories that you could share with us about that? I think it's just a process of getting... Um, of being comfortable in your own skin, and it's something that I've had to sort of grapple with for... A long time. How, how long did that take? When, when did you become comfortable? Are you comfortable? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, I, I guess I was always... Um, I wasn't exactly like an um, introvert at um, school or anything like that. Like I, I loved being in plays and being in choir and performing. And I think it was that sort of performance aspect that was the outlet to be able to just be myself and express. But you know, deep down, there were all these things that I was trying to figure out and, like, do I hide it? Do I, do I let it come out? What do I do? And, you know, I kept it hidden for a very long time and it wasn't until, I guess, in my uh, early 20s, mid-20s, it, it, sort of, it finally sort of made me feel like, oh, there are other people like that out in the world. And it's, that, it's visibility that, um, that gets you through something like that. Yeah. You know, um, I've written recently about how there were no New Zealand um, gay male poets that I could read and that I could 
sort of draw from and, and, um, and see myself represented in that way. Um, so I, I looked elsewhere, I looked to American poets, um, and you know, I eventually found them, and, and that really was invaluable. And, when you're not alone. Yeah, you're not alone. Um, and you know, I don't want to feel like I'm trying to you know, put myself on a pedestal or anything, but I guess you know, writing this book and, and, and doing things like this, and just being who I am is hopefully helping other people. Well, and I think that's I think that's dead set true, right? When you when you can see it um, and, and see other people like it, and, yeah. and, and it gives people an opportunity to be themselves, right? Yeah. I think that's true, yeah. and that and that's a really positive. What you've what you've given there is a really positive um, view of it, actually. But I'm sure that you must have faced things that have been negative, and I've run the risk here slightly. I think of being a little bit of clickbait, right? Because I kind of want to hear some dramatic <laughs> stories or something, but. Um, but do but you know what I mean? But, but yeah. this, this can't have been, I, I, I feel certain, I don't want to put words in your mouth, I feel certain this can't have been easy for you at times. No, no, definitely not, no. And I was seeing a very close family member go through some, some major depression, um, like a breakdown that, um, that actually kind of pushed me to coming out because I felt like if I kept that hidden for so long, I was really scared that I might end up in that position. Because, um, you know, we, we know the the high suicide rates among LGBTQI youth and how um, people are just so scared that people will find out about it that, you know, they, they have breakdowns, they, they, they hurt themselves. Um, and we, why do we live in a world where that happens? It, it just really breaks my heart when I, you know, the, just this last week, the nine-year-old boy in the States who killed himself because he was bullied. And, you know, there were people saying, well, how do you know, you know, how can you know that you're gay at nine? But it's also, well, how can, Nine-year-olds know to bully someone mm. who's come out. You know, are we getting are we getting better at this? Are we getting better as as men of asking for help and and around that bullying? I mean, particularly with an online world, it's <coughs> a social media world now. Um, is it getting better or worse? Oh man, I mean, I think it's better because of just the conversations out there. Like, you know, social media can be a, a horrible <laughs> abyss. You know, but it's <laughs> like. Uh, but it's kind of, but the fact that a lot of these ideas are out there and kind of contested on the cultural battleground is, is very aggressively, of course, like, yep. you know, um, but I think it's a good thing. You know, for instance, even the word feminism, like to have that debated in Australian par Parliament and people to talk about it uh, a few years ago, like that wasn't happening in the 90s when I was growing up. Like you weren't here, like that was kind of almost a dirty word. Like people sometimes say it's a dirty word now, but not, like when, when I was growing up, it was way worse. And like there definitely wouldn't have been men trying to discuss it openly. Um, and publicly in Australia, I don't think. And, um, and so I think, you know, it's always, with any type of social change or progression, like I think it's, you know, it's two steps forward. It's like climbing a mountain yeah. of sand. It's like two steps forward, one step back constantly. Back, yeah. And it's this, this contested thing and it will continue to be. Um, and, and so, um, I mean, I feel it within myself as an individual, within my group of friends, within my peers. Uh, these are painful, difficult conversations. And even just finding new language to articulate the conversation is, is difficult and ever-changing, yeah. you know? Um, I wonder if we are naive in thinking there is a point or a nirvana where, you know, none of this is ever going to exist. And I think it's, it's naive and foolish to, to think that. I think it's always just going to be... Yeah. It might be just a little less crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, Maybe. actually, actually, I'll, I'll pause that because I actually want to come. I, I, I want to come back to that um, because I think there's a there's a nice place to end there about where we might go. But um, and I want to give actually uh, the other authors um, 
uh, Dominic and Omar a, a chance to read shortly um, because Chris, that was that was that was fantastic. But just before we do, there's this idea of sort of front stage, which is um, perfect in a, in a in a in an audience like this uh, or a setting like this. Of this, there's this idea of front stage and backstage language, um, and and it was famously, I guess, made clear by for Donald Trump, rocker, locker room talk. This idea that we can talk backstage and it's kind of okay because it's just boys will be boys. Is that okay? No. <laughs> well, I shouldn't have used Trump, really, should I? That was, I, I probably wouldn't go. But, but, but I mean, is language, can language be somewhat harmless? Can't, can we have a bit of banter and fun backstage or do we need to really modify all of that? I, I got my hair cut yesterday um, at one of the barber shops here and I mean, it wasn't... Show off. <laughs> Sorry. It wasn't anything um, no, awful or disgusting, but just the, just the tone and, and some of the jokes they were using. And I just thought, oh, you know, do I, do I say something? Do I get up and leave? What do I do? And I just thought, I'm going to take my jacket off and they'll see I have a Madonna t-shirt on. You know, maybe that'll, <laughs> that'll be like... <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but I don't know, like I... Well, that's, that's, it, it, that is a really hard question, yeah. though, because, of course, the way that you talk at home and when you're talking trash and being silly, like, with your friends and family will be different to the way you would talk, say, at a writer's festival mm. or to a reporter yeah. or and something and I think that's probably like that. true. I mean, of course that's going to happen. Your private language will be different and it doesn't necessarily have to align perfectly. But at the same time, like, you know, it is that kind of the difficult stuff of changing the way you behave and the way you talk in your private life, that's actually the hard stuff, you know, yep. um, not putting up a Facebook status that says all the right things or, or, you know, sitting in front of an audience talking about how I'm really woke or something. Like, you know, it's actually that difficult stuff behind the scenes that's, that's the constant lifelong struggle, really. And so, yeah, I mean, and, that, and some of that will fall upon changing the way you speak as yeah. well as the way you behave, I think. Well, and that's the way that we might speak. And what about when we hear other people speak? Do we have a responsibility to call this out? I mean, backstage, I know we were talking of quite a funny story, actually, about the 75-year-old man. Um, and because he was 75, it's like, well, what do you do? You just sort of let it go. But do, do we have a responsibility to call this I mean, out? Sometimes, but it depends on how much emotional labour you want to invest in this mm. on a daily basis. Because <laughs> you could just be waging an ever-rolling war that's just bringing you, making you depressed and making you anxious. Like, at a certain point, I think you have to choose your battles. Like, yeah. I, you know, I had one recently. It was funny. It was like I was going to buy my my godson a um, a toy, and I was actually feeling a bit flush. So I was like, "Oh man, I'm gonna spend a hundred dollars on this toy." Well, you know, I was balling, and, I, <laughs> and so I like, went to this pet st uh, pet store, toy store, and I was having a really good conversation with a lady, and um, she's probably about sixty-five year old lady, and um, and just as I was looking through things, I saw they had this whole shelf of gollywogs, you know. And I was just like, oh, no. Like, and then I was just like, you know what? I can't deal with this today. Like, yeah. I just had a nice coffee. The sun was out. So I was like, I'm just going to leave. I can't fight this battle today. And I, like, walked out. I got 10 steps out. And then I was like, you know what? I need this. <laughs> I went back in. And I was just like, oh, hello. Uh, you know, I was actually about to spend a fair bit of money in this establishment. Uh, but I wasn't comfortable with some of the stuff he was selling. And she knew straight away. What? what it was, you know, and she was just like, oh, just kind of tipped the glass and down and goes like, we, we sell a lot of those. And I was like, yeah, yeah I'm, sh I'm sure you do. I'm sure you sell heaps of them. And she was just like, well, look, it's a personal choice. So, anyway, so we got in this thing and it en en ended up, I was just like yelling at this lady about like slavery and blackface and all this stuff. And then, 
But then I looked like a psychopath, mm. you know? Like, I was just like, and I left yelling and over my shoulder, I just go like, I will never shop here again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't know if I, I don't think I even convinced her. Like, so, uh, I don't know. What was the shop out of interest? It was one in camp, I forget what it was called. It was one in my hometown. Right. Um, we, we, we won't shop there either, Omar. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, cool. And this brings me to another point, and I will get to the readings very, very shortly. Um, but there is this question then, which you've just given an example of, is how we do this. Some of these views are so, so deeply, deeply entrenched. Yeah. Um, how do we confront this with people? Do we yell over our shoulder, um, saying, I will never shop here again? Or do, do we try and conjole? Do we, do we, do we, do we abuse? What, how, how do we do this? How do we change the problem? I think it's probably best to try and be reasonable, but I'm not very good at that, personally. <laughs> yeah. I've just got a, I've got a uh, Pomeranian, like a little fluffy dog, he's about this big, and we've only just got him, he's a rescue dog, but one thing I didn't realise is that when I walked down the street with him, people were like, gay dog, mate, well, what the fuck you got that dog for? <laughs> and the first few times it happened, I was like, what the fuck did you say to me? And you're like, this dog, you're like, you know. <laughs> you know, like, calling them homophobes and stuff, and then after about the fifth time, I was just like, fuck, man, like, it's crazy, and this is in Ponsonby in Auckland, and yeah. shit, you know what I mean? Where you think like the one place in New Zealand you could have a small dog. Um, so yeah, I guess you do, yeah. Um, but I, I've different got- horses for different courses, you know? Like, I mean, I think some people can be the firebrand, and, mm. like, and you can be really aggressive, and that shifts the dialogue in one way, but then other people be a bridge builder and can be much more diplomatic. <laughs> I wish I was a bit more like that, eh? Diplomatic. I write poems about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and on, on, on those poems, have we got... Dominic, would you like to... Um, yeah, I tried to find a chapter that was sort of addressing what we're talking about. Um, it's always hard to read from a novel because he's jumping straight into the middle of it, but this is Hamish, who's... The, so the book is flips back and forth between the female and the male protagonist. Um, we'll see how it goes. OK. Um, but I don't have $400. You have a credit card. Priscilla's washing lettuce in the sink. She stops, stares at me with tired brown eyes. You think I'm going to get myself further into debt so you can get high? It's not for drugs, I just need cash for food. Priscilla goes back to washing the lettuce. I take a sip of my beer, it's warm and makes me feel sick. I can pay you back when I get paid from the show. Why don't you ask your dad, she says, not turning from the sink. This isn't a question, just a polite way of telling me to fuck off. I finish the beer and get up from the table. Okay, well, thanks anyway, Mum. I toss the bottle into the rubbish. Don't call me that and put the bo bottle in the bloody recycling, she yells after me. I never talk about my dad much. He wasn't there even before he left. Always drunk or at work on the docks. Always angry about some bullshit. Always yelling and then gone. And mum wasn't the most loving person either. I don't think she ever wanted a kid. She preferred to keep the party going rather than worry about nappies and shopping for food. And after he left, shit got worse. She hit the bottle for real and I started living at Ratley's anyway. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Omar, um, and just before I do, I'll say, we were promised beer on the stage, weren't we? Oh, yeah, we were. Do <laughs> so we strike? I, I don't yeah. know. I, 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 <laughs> and all of us on stage are hungover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so judgmental. So judgmental. Um, have you got a reading? Yeah, sure. I think it sort of piggybacks off some of the points we were making. Um, this is from my new book of poetry. It goes, um, The boys are turning mad. The boys are turning circles in the sky. 
The boys are swooping down with base-heavy hearts and sharp talons, plucking the eyes of cows and dismembering doves. The boys are turning ferocious. They are growing up with garlands of nuts, bolts and knuckle bones around their necks. Pistons plunge in their forearms and jaws. Petrol churns in the chambers of their chests. They trade dynamite for candles and whip words into the cake mix, like bitch, slut, whore, lowey, ganger, mutt. They confront each other with the tenderness of wild things and the brutality of the civilized. The boys are turning on each other. The boys are turning on each other. <laughs> they are, yeah, see what I did there? <laughs> hey. They are getting hard at the thought of carnage, drawing lines on the bodies of women like rich man on map, like butcher on diagram of beast he will feed to the cleaver. The boys are turning away. The boys are turning on the fulcrum of history, enraged at the thought that things might change from the way they have always been. I know this because I have dreamed their raptor dreams. The boys are turning away. They are turning into fathers and bus drivers and poets uncles and bosses and boyfriends. In servos and courtrooms, in boardrooms and pubs, the boys are turning into men. Oh, that was awesome, thank you. Um, now, I'm gonna turn to a, a couple of broader questions here, and I hope as a way, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll move this in, I think, then, then to, to the audience, but I wanna hear from, from each of you about where we're going with masculinity, ideas of masculinity, and what does, what does the goal look like? What is the end of this? You know, where, where are we going? How, how do we know when we're there? I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's like a video game where you f defeat the final boss yeah. and then you <laughs> reach this, yeah, like a nirvana of wokedom and feminism. Like, I don't know. I mean, I would just like to live in an Australia where two women a week don't die at the hands of men, you know? I'd, I'd yeah. Uh, there's obviously something sick in our society and, and we as men have to have the courage to look at ourselves and... and you know, see our own culpabilities. Yeah, and I'd like to live in a place that doesn't have 17.5% gender pay gap, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, that, that I think would be some semblance of equality and, and a great point to get to, but I, you know, it's fucking, it's far away. Like you see that resistance, you know, you see the way people act online, how, how aggressively vitriolic they are to any idea of change. Um, but uh, I don't know, I guess to me it just starts with learning how to listen better. That goes for all sorts of things. It goes to do with matters of class, matters of race, and matters of gender. Like, you know, listen, listen, listen. Mm. And learn when to shut the fuck up too. Mm. Yeah. You know? And it's hard, I'm still like, I hate, sometimes it's difficult on panels like this because it's like, you feel as if you've been put in this point where, you know, this place where you're like pontificating or sermonizing. Mm. It's like, I'm messed up, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm like, almost feel like I'm at the beginning of this journey. You know, and it's it's hard. It's painful like, too. Well, what does health what does healthy masculinity look like? Because it's going to look very it's going to look different for different people, isn't it? Your sense of it and my sense of it could be perfectly healthy, but very very different, right? Mm. So, what does this look like? I think it should look like however you want it to look like, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Um, yeah. I think it's just about taking, you know, anyone of any gender or whatever should be able to take what traits they want, you know what I mean? And 
if that's rejecting all the traits that you know you're supposed to be as a man, then that should be totally fine. And, and if a woman wants to take on those, you know, because it's like, you know, like I've had so many situations where something will happen, whether it's I'm supposed to enact violence or I'm supposed to fix a car or whatever the fuck it is, and it's like, I can't do any of those things, you know what I mean? Yeah. I write you a poem about it, but... <laughs> <laughs> so it's... Yeah. I mean, one of the things, like, because, yeah, I do a lot of work with um, marginalised youth and youth that are having a hard time, and one of the things that... I always tell all the boys and, 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 and the girls there, but mainly the boys, is just trying to explain to them how patriarchy is fucking them as well. Yeah, I was going to say that. And, um, you know, and the look in their eyes when they get there and, and even how much they change and they're allowed, they feel like they're allowed to be more feminine, you know, and we've had one kid in particular, Mike, who's gone from stealing cars and doing home invasions and now he wears, like, real, like, fancy shirts and, like, he's really feminine, you know, in, in, in six months and it's fucking awesome, you know. And you can tell that he's been himself and... Mm. Cool. Well, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point. It's like the way that these attitudes affect men as well and affect boys, you know? Like, suicide amongst young men is like a scourge in Australia. And, and, and I would say that that's, a, that's you know, that, that violence, like, people internalise that and turn against the self as well. Men do that as well as enacting it on women. So, you know, yeah, men are affected by the patriarchy and by these sort of attitudes too. Um, and that just can't be healthy, you know what I mean? It's so weird when I see people vitriolically opposed to any type of change or rethinking the world in some way or through a different lens. It's just like, what, you think it's good the way it is now? Like, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's good because they're not affected by it. No, but what yeah, I'm saying, but, they, they probably but, are, though, but they don't realise it. Yeah, they think they're well, before we, before we throw it up to the audience, again, one, one from each of you. Are you positive about masculinity in 2018? Oh, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, a lot of work to go, Omar? No, no, not really. Like, otherwise, I wouldn't... Like, if I was so positive about it, I wouldn't think there's a hell of a lot of things to change. I mean, the, yeah. the fact that something like this is, is happening... Well, I guess that, so there's something guess, to feel positive yeah. about, right? Right, right. And, yeah. you know, we... we you know, there, there's... I don't know if that's still happening, but, you know, for a few years, there were so many diversity panels um, happening at literary festivals. And you'd, you'd go to them, you'd, you'd hear great stuff, but then nothing would happen. And, but it was always people of colour who were on these panels, you know, so it was diverse. But it's like, so how, how are you going to solve this? And it's like, no, it's not on us. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, here today, maybe it is on us. Mm. Mm. This is part of a process. So to open it up and, yeah. But then also, yeah, like, the, stuff, the work you're doing, you know, working with younger people. Like, I was thinking that the other day um, when I had to talk to some of the, the high school kids, and I was like, man, I wish, you know, I'd been able to start this journey a bit earlier. Like, I wish someone had come into my school and, and talked to me. Like, <laughs> already in my 30s, really, by the time I started thinking about these things, which is like a shameful thing to say, but, mm. you know, I guess better late than never. But yeah, that sort of work is super important, I reckon. What about you, Dominic? Are you positive about masculinity in 2018? I mean, I guess it's like what Omar was saying, like, it, at least these conversations are happening and people are, talk, you know, talking about feminism and stuff, so. It's better than it was, but, I mean, it's hard to see under capitalism that there's ever going to, you know, like, I think that, if there's that system, there's always got to be people at the bottom and, you know. Fever revolution. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm happy now to throw it open, if you guys are, to throw it open to, to questions. I, I always like the audience questions for the most part. Um, remember, it is questions rather than statements. We have got some um, roving mics, roaming mics. So, um, yeah, Philly Butch. Uh, kia ora. Thank you guys for um, your, what, what you said so far. I'm, as a teacher of 
young people, specifically teenage girls, I'm just interested in how you see, um, I'm just interested in the way that young men often have very transgressive humour as a part of growing up, whether mm. it's racially or sexually or whatever, and I think that's a natural part of growing up, we have to be cautious about it, but at the same time, I'm concerned that if we suppress all of those things, then we end up with more suicidal young men, and we have enough of those already. How do we deal with those things at the same time? How do we open up, how do you see, the, how do we open up a, a portal for those young men to express themselves in a way, their anger, their frustration, their confusion, um, and also help them grow? Get them into politics. Just a small question. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I... Tom, I think that's the worst advice I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about like joining a Labour Party or something. I mean, get them into like, you know, t like activism and, and show these revolutionary movements and stuff where, you know, and art and things where you can mm. put your anger and you can put your emotion into yeah. it and it's not hurting anyone. Right. Because straight up, writing saved my life and, and that's not hyperbole, you know, and mm. I'm sure yeah. most writers would say that. So I was going to say, yeah, get them into the arts. Um, don't, don't make, you know, boys think that doing drama or singing in a choir is feminine and not masculine and that they should be on a fucking rugby field. <laughs> um, you know, I was, I guess, pretty lucky that I grew up um, and went to a school where boys were encouraged to do both. Because why not? The, the rugby coach didn't like the fact that some of his players had to go to choir practice, but it's like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> are you winning medals? No, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it doesn't mean that you can't play a sport and stuff like that, yeah. but it's just adding this different facet to the way you express yourself. Mm. And, and, and it's joyous, you know? Like, expressing yourself through the arts, it's a joyful thing and, and something... It's like alchemy, you know? I, I realised, like, growing up that whereas most of my mates I grew up with, if they felt aggression, they would want to enact it on someone, bash someone, you know? Um, but I could put it into this other thing, into music, and suddenly that thing that was, like, really getting me down, it turned into something liberating, like, and that was... It's amazing, and you can see that moment, can't you, when the kids, when they realise they can do that, mm. and it's this epiphany. That's not so hard to do, and luckily there's a lot of people advocating for it too. But yeah, the arts, I would say. Gee, I'm so pleased to see so, so many hands go up. Hopefully we can get rid um, to as many as possible. If you just go to, yeah. Oh, I picked them, do I? Oh, great. Um, the power all of a sudden. Um, just, well, actually, what's that young, young lady here? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I want one. Where did you get it? Um, the internet. <laughs> uh, I guess because of my search history, I now get all of these sort of very interesting um, ads that come up. It's like, do you want a romper? Do I want a romper? I think I do. <laughs> Secondly, do we have, the, um, as, as a feminist, I identify myself as a feminist, but I always, high schools, high school boys, mm, always in classrooms I hear boys throwing around words like, oh, that's a gay, that's like, mm. and like sexualizing women. And mm. do we have a right to correct people in, if, with casual language? They might not even mean anything by it. Do we have a right to try and correct them? Oh, definitely. Yeah. If you feel offended and hurt by it, yeah, for sure. I mean, the response might be very defensive, like, yeah. <laughs> but then they might, you know, if they've got uh, a moral compass and any tuppence worth of brains, they might go off and think about it and change their, change their mind, you know? Like, I've, 
I, as I was saying before, I used to use very homophobic and sexy, sexist language and <laughs> sexy language, sexist, <laughs> sexy language too, but, um, <laughs> but like sexist language. And then someone had to confront me about it, you know, and I was like, oh, it's just words, you know, it's just words, you're just being too sensitive or whatever. And they'd be like, yeah, but if I said like the N word, like you would be really offended by that. Be, oh, it's different. And then I like, went away and started thinking like, oh, why is that different? It's not actually different, you know, like, and I mm. went and, and thought about it. And so I was very defensive at first, but I'm glad that those people did that to me. So yeah, like, if you feel like you can at that time, I think it's... Yeah, I mean, I had the exact same experience. So yeah. I think it's really important, you know. But again, pick your battles as well, though, because you'll look out for yourself. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for the question. Yeah. Uh, we'll just... Hey, thank you all um, for what you've contributed today. I'm sitting here, I was getting really angry hearing a lot of the talk and the, and the questions, because I I hear what I hear a lot, and that's this uh, connection, a negative connection to masculinity straight away, whereas I th it seems like what you're talking about is stereotypes. You're trying yeah. to knock away stereotypes, but, um, and to have masculinity always being reinforced negatively um, really upsets me as a father and as a man, you know? And I'd like to hear from, from you guys who's a man that you admire, you know, who's a man that, um, embodies masculinity in a way that you admire and, and is um, yeah. being positive for you guys. Car five. Hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking about the sexy language. <laughs> I think there's traits, I guess, again, that you would, you know, like, um, you'd consider masculine, but it's, it, again, it's not just men that have that, that I necessarily look up to. I suppose I had a teacher I quite liked at one point. Why are we really struggling no, I mean, to find my Ronald model? No, no, no. I mean, diff different writers and musicians. I won't even go into a long list, but yeah, like men, where where their sense of selfhood is defined by by thinking and articulation, mm -hmm. as opposed to just being a wandering hunk of meat that bashes the first person who crosses them. You know, uh, yeah, writers, Baudelaire, Bolaño, like I don't know, whoever. Chris, do you want? I think I'm just going to get really cliche and say my dad. Like my dad, um, you know, it's only just recently that we've actually started talking about stuff. Um, you know, he sort of just didn't want to address certain things. Um, but, you know, he, his number one priority was to look after his family. And that meant, you know, um, late hours and making us work in the shop when we hated it. But now I realize he was giving us a gift. Um, and. You know, I just, a few months ago, you know, we had this really open conversation and he revealed all of the stuff that I just never knew was bubbling under the surface. Um, and, you know, I was very proud that he actually could, could do that. But, you know, you know, we ha it hasn't been a great relationship um, all the time, but I, I know why he was doing it. Yeah, I don't know if that really answers your question, but... I was touching to go back to your dad. I thought it was really nice. <laughs> um, up, up the back there. Oh, just here. Yep. Sorry, I'm no, I'm not very good at this. Um, but if, yeah, I'll, I'll. Um, how important were role models for all of you when you were developing your idea about what masculinity is? Role models. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, really important. Like, like, could be could be negatively too. You know, I mean, I looked at my dad, and there are a lot of things that I now think are very retrograde in his thinking. Not not everything, um, but so almost the absence of a role model, like 
really affected and shaped my life in that way. Um, yeah. But then, but seeing my, my mum and my grandma being so strong uh, despite all of that, um, you know, that, that was important for me too. I think my role models were women that took on masculine, masculine traits mm. and did challenge the idea of, you know, women being masculine. Um, so, you know, even if it's as simple as like Madonna dressing up in a suit or Tori Amos singing about the shit things that men do, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's all true. And why aren't men addressing this? Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll so go it's go dangerous to have role models. Because I always let you down, I know, down, you end up you know? dressing like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happens all the time. You know, when we place people on this pedestal yeah. and don't see them as like a flawed human being. And then they'll do some horrendous, th some horrendous thing will come out of their past and, and then we'll just be let down by them. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And um, we'll come over the side of the room, perhaps. There we go. Sorry to make you run. I'm just wondering whether in this day and age it's even sensible to talk about masculinity and femininity and not just talk about humanity mm. and really is whether someone's, the genitalia that someone possesses is really just one aspect of their genetics. You know, whether you've got a Y chromosome or a two Xs or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, a very interesting book by a woman called Cordelia Fine called uh, Testosterone Rex, where she demolishes the, the idea that testosterone is what mm. causes men mm. to behave the way they behave. Um, it's a very interesting book. Yeah. I mean, in a utopian world, I would like to think that, and I think that humanism hopefully underlies most of what we're talking about, you know, or informs us, but these terms, femininity, masculinity, feminism, like, they affect how we live our lives, yeah. you know, whether we like it or not, like, those things are in play, um, you know, whether it be in the real world or academia, and they're, and they're things that, you know, the way we articulate them, the way that we think about them, they affect our lives, like, yeah, I'd like to get to some point where it's all just about humanity, but... Yeah, and these are things we have to negotiate. We haven't even really scratched the surface in terms of talking about gender. Um, that would be a whole other hour slash festival, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You've had your hand up a couple of times. And some young woman up there as well. Sorry, we're back. <laughs> up there. Yeah, okay, you're next. Yeah. Thank, thank, thanks. Uh, thanks, guys, for the talk. It's awesome. Um, I just wanted to talk oh, I guess put to you a question of self-talk for males because uh, as women we've kind of been <laughs> roped into thinking about ourselves a lot and um, producing positive self-talk for body positivity, etc. Yeah. Do you think that that's something that we need to be talking to our children about? I mean, we have a nine-year-old son and um, we're constantly trying to praise him for things that aren't just physical-related. Mm. Uh, mm. Um, because he is n like a very sporty person, but we've had conversations about like <clears throat> race and sport and um, talking about masculinity in other ways, like being gentle and intimate with people. Do you think that that's something that we should implement into school as well? I guess it's a lot of, uh, a lot of questions in that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, it'd be amazing if they had that in schools, I think. Um... I definitely notice with my um, friends' kids that the, the boys are much better at that than people were at my age. So it definitely yeah. seems to have changed, sort of. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a good idea. And 
how else are they going to be able to articulate that when they're older? You've got to, you actually do have to start young and, and model that behaviour. So having people around them doing that too. Yeah, and having some of these discussions, I mean, I'm, I'm not across this as, as I should be, but like, you know, having some of those discussions like in sporting clubs and everything as well. Mm -hmm. Like a mate of mine started a thing called Good Lad in, in England where he was an ex-professional rugby player and he would go into rugby clubs and talk to the kids about some of these issues that we're discussing. And, and it actually went down pretty well. He found it was a lot harder when he went into, into corporate boardrooms and tried to do the same thing. There was mm -hmm. a lot more resistance, you know. Um, but yeah, starting early for sure, getting people to just, just to question the world in general and question received wisdom, you know, about the, the roles that we have in life. Of course, it's a good thing, yeah. Keeps the mind limber. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you've waited. Yeah. Hello, I've got a question for Chris. Chris, why do you think gay men in particular reject femininity so hard and how much of homophobia do you think is rooted in misogyny? <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, I guess it comes down to that whole idea of roles. If you have two men, who's the man, who's the woman? So there's this assumption that one of them has to be the woman, has to be feminine, has to be meek, has to be submissive. Um, and that's, you know, bullshit. Um, and I, I guess it's, there's this also this internalised self-hate for a lot of... Um, uh, young gay men when they're sort of coming to terms with these feelings that, you know, they maybe they expect that the world thinks that, you know, now that they're going to come out as gay, you know, that they are going to be assumed to be feminine and, you know, adopt those traits, but, you know, it's totally not true. Um, so I think then there's that pushback and so they try to overcompensate. So, you know, they go to the gym five times a week and, um, you know, head down that path. And, I, and sometimes I don't know who's happier, the, you know, the, the gay man who gets to just um, be themselves and um, wear dresses in public or, you know, um, just express that side of their sexuality versus, you know, people who are still continually hiding it under layers and layers and layers of masculinity. Um, and yet I think it's definitely um, rooted in misogyny. I think it, and that's something that the gay community sometimes just doesn't acknowledge that they think that just because they're men, you know, they're, or gay men, you know, that they're not misogynists. It's like, actually, some gay men are the worst misogynists out there, and they just fail to accept that or confront it. Yeah. Now, we're sadly going to have to wrap this up fairly shortly, but not, not, not just yet. But just before I do, I'd just like to thank you as an audience, because isn't this nice that we can have a conversation like this? It's so respectful, the questions are very, very intelligent. So I think that's incredibly awesome. Um, hey, hey, Paul. The thought occurs to me, do we paint ourselves into a corner if we talk about masculinity rather than thinking about masculinities yeah. mm -hmm. where yeah. all of us are responsible for creating yeah. for ourselves yep. in conversation with our partners, neighbours, whoever, that this is what it means for me to be masculine in my own particular way. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. For sure. Agreed. We've probably got time for one more. Thanks. Thank you all for your contributions and your writing. Um, we're hearing a lot about the way that um, young men are being shaped by pornography and its pervasiveness, and I wonder if you have any thoughts about how that can be disrupted. 
<laughs> I was like, well, no, because I think people are starting to figure that out and talk yeah. at school, you know, talk to the school kids about it. I don't know how you deal with it because they've got it on their phones yeah. and stuff. And, yeah. and I've heard that there's like bullying based around that, you know, like, oh do, like I went to a school and, and the teachers are saying, yeah, like the other kid, kids get shamed if they don't have it on their, you know, really? on their phone and everything like that. But other kids, they get bullied and stuff. Um, and, and you know, the, the counsellor was telling me that there's, this big, there's been this big influx um, since, you know, porn's been more readily available uh, on the smartphones of kids, boys coming in feeling a bit traumatised when they first hook up with a woman because she's got, like, hair down there or, like, you know, like, there's smells associated with sex. That's unbelievable because yeah. the, on the screen there was no smell, yeah. you know, or whatever. It was crazy, man. Like, they have to talk about Like, we never had to discuss any of this, you know what I mean? I was like having to go down and steal penthouses from the corner store or whatever, <laughs> like when I was a kid. And, and now they're having to have all these conversations that's a product of that. I mean, I think people seem to be on top of it, but it's probably like, you know, it almost feels like the horse has bolted. It's so, so hard. Maybe, the, do they confiscate phones at schools? I feel like they should just do that yeah. in class. I, I would have liked to have ended on a slightly more positive note. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, um, but yeah. but, but um, just to say that the author's um, publications are available to purchase outside and, and, and they will be around to sign those for you or to chat with you. Um, so I hope the conversations can continue there. Mm. But um, Dominic, Omar, Chris, thank you very much. Thank you, Jared. Thank you.